Well, we're still here, so let's talk about it. Today is part one of The Good Death. I have two ready to go, but I don't know how many are going to come after that. There are so many posts online, so many pieces of commentary that I have gained from people that I follow uh, um, through email or through their own podcasts, through the things that they write. There's really a lot of information out there, and I encourage you to check it out. I'll include some links for the things that I have today are referenced, um, quoted, etc., just so you have that information to look up. But let's dive in. So I've spoken before about how I define the good death, which for me is having had the, the important conversations with my family and close friends, working to resolve any outlying conflicts or forgiving those that I need to forgive or ask forgiveness from those people that I have hurt. It also means that I've shared my wishes for my end-of-life experience and I have heard commentary and opinions from those I care about the most. As of my recent hospitalization, I also had the important conversation with the doctors caring for me at the hospital. What remains at this point is to speak with my primary care doctor who happened to be out of the office when I went for my follow-up. But that said, my documents are on file in my chart, so I feel pretty okay about things where they stand today. What about tomorrow? Will I have the same thoughts and wishes? The more I read and learn from the literature and commentary from folks considering the same decisions, the more I'm able to hone in on precisely what it is that I want. Here's a quote from Quora.com. Not exactly what I'd consider expert advice, but more like a frame of mind expressed, which is close to mine. Here's the quote. I had a DNR. I didn't have to explain it to anyone. Why didn't I want to live? That's not the correct question. I didn't want to languish between life and death. That's why I had the DNR. End of quote. I was careful in my last podcast to refrain from revealing my DNR slash no DNR choice. I still wish to keep that my personal and private decision. But this idea of burdening my family with lost time and salary, multiple trips to the home and hospital, time away from their personal lives, and the sheer work that it is to care for me when I'm incapable of caring for myself, is an idea I reject strongly. The more I consider dying at home, I begin to wonder if that really is the best option. I cared for my parents and my in-laws and other family members who could not care for themselves. It was a lot of work, not just in completing the tasks, but also the heart work, the emotional toil, and the time involved in providing direct care as well as the brain work of worry, concern, anxiety, sadness, grief, uncertainty of the days that lay ahead. It is easier for me to sit behind this microphone or at my computer and say or write these things, honestly. It is another issue completely to actually live them out. If you've had to care for someone who is dependent, you know the sacrifice. And to me, it seems harder to care for an adult than raising a child. The adult who is incapable of self-care is still an adult. Dignity is a big word in the good death. I talk about my mom frequently in my blogs and 
podcast, I believe, because she was the person who taught me the most about end of life. Of course, I did not know that at the time, and I would like to think that if I had, things would have been different during her last years. Three years before my mom died, she suffered a minor stroke, and while she was in the hospital, she suffered a major heart attack in my arms. I did not know she was dying. I just saw that she was unconscious and that I needed to keep stroking her face with the wet washcloth, speaking to her and holding her upright. I was absolutely clueless about what I had been doing. And it wasn't until the nurses, who I hadn't even realized had left the room, until they returned, were not even there. Um, But they told me what happened. I'm not saying I saved my mom's life. That is not the point of this story. It is to say that the responsibility I felt was tremendous. And so when she was discharged from the hospital, unable to drive, and living alone, I brought her to live with my husband and kids. That is where her dignity was taken from her. I didn't have time to sit, talk, or visit with her. Her stories and questions were an imposition. I continued to insist that she was unable to live on her own, let alone drive a car, and that she would have to be cleared by her cardiologist before any changes could be made. Her home was two hours away from my home. None of her things were with her in my home. My work took precedence over her. My kids took precedence over her. My space was not her space, and I didn't see it. Several weeks after she came to live with us, she came to me and she told me that if she was unable to return to her home, she would surely die. Talk about a wake-up call. We made sure to address her driving ability and solitary living arrangements with her cardiologist. And after she got cleared, my mom went on back to her home to actually live and become healthier than she had ever been. Man, it was wonderful to see her thriving. She had spoken out and I had responded, thankfully. She told me God had stuff for her to do on earth and he had given her three more years, which she lived out happily in her own space. I still hadn't truly learned to have better relationships with that experience, but letting go of my control over my mom helped us all. Why do I bring this up about a discussion about the good death? Because my mom stated her wishes and I responded. I gave up control. I released myself from the work of caring for a woman who is capable once again of caring for herself. I was not capable of truly caring for her. I see that now. Dignity. The definition of the good death, according to Caitlin Doty, founder of the Order of the Good Death and a participant in the death positive movement, is this. Knowing what you want at the end of life and having the discussions and conversations with those you love, your providers, and the designated decision makers is the good death. End of quote. I agree. I don't agree with everything Ms. Doty has to say, but I do respect her opinions. Here's another article for you. Dilip Jesty, MD, is an Associate Dean for Healthy Aging and Senior Care at UC San Diego School of Medicine. Here's his quote. Death is obviously a controversial topic. People don't like to talk about it in detail, but we should. It's important to speak honestly and transparently about what kind of death each of us would prefer. 
But then he continues and says, Ultimately, existential and other psychosocial concerns may be prevalent among patients, and this serves as a reminder that we must ask about all facets of care that are essential at the end of life. The article continued, and then here's this last quote that I want to share from Dr. Jesty. The bottom line is, ask the patient. Usually, patients know what they want or need, and there is relief in talking about it. It gives them a sense of control. You can make it possible to have a good death by talking about it sometime before. That's great advice. <sighs> this is a lot of information, folks, I just got to say. I'm going to take another deep breath and go on to the next one because we're going to cover the 11 core themes of a good death. Here we go. Preferences for a specific dying process, pain-free status, religiosity slash spirituality, emotional well-being, life completion, treatment preferences, dignity, family, quality of life, relationship with healthcare provider, and the last is other. The top three themes um, from this interview and study that was done uh, was patients, family, and providers were all interviewed. The top three themes of the good death for this group were preferences of dying process. That was the top. Second was pain-free status. And the third was emotional well-being. That's important. Let's break them down. Preferences for a specific dying process. I can attest that was foremost on my mind while I was in the hospital. I have read about the dying process and watched people experiencing it. Each one was different from the other. The 11 elements were present in each, whether I realized it at that time or not. Much of the work of dying, these elements were experienced without my knowledge or even a sense that they were being considered by the people I was watching. A lot was said, however, about preference to die at home or in hospital, to be left alone or surrounded by family, how many or what types of procedures were desired, etc. The second, pain-free status. <laughs> yeah, buddy, that's a biggie. I may have a high pain tolerance, but pain is not fun. Severe pain is definitely not fun. I have seen how pain can change a personality, lead to depression, and many other unpleasant emotions. Thankfully, both in the hospital and in home on hospice or palliative care, pain is mitigated as much as possible. It may not be removed, and suffering may still occur, but you can see why this would be a primary topic of discussion. And I would say that's for providers, family, and patient. It was number two. Number three, emotional well-being. I don't know where to begin on this topic, but I saw anguish and despair on a dying person's face, and I know that was not well-being. I watched a couple of folks in the last days simply asleep or in the state of a coma that tends to precede death, and I could see peace. I decided this is what is most important to me. The remaining eight, well, I should say seven, because the last topic was other, are also important and have been included um, in this article, which I will just briefly touch on. Religiosity slash spirituality is very important for some, or not important at all. Life completion. I think of this as a review of one's life accomplishments, whether goals have been achieved or 
you know, that bucket list that many carry. Next is treatment preferences. I know I refused a lot of medications that the doctor had ordered, but some I accepted. I want to have that choice. The nurses explained the medication's purpose and honored my choice. The next one is dignity. We talked about that a little bit, but Google's definition is the state or quality of being worthy and honor of respect. Yes, please. Next is family. I want my husband and our kids around right now while I'm healthy and able to enjoy their company. I would absolutely want them with me at the end of life. But I understand that that may not be possible, so I make sure and tell them often what I think of them, how much I love them, that I respect the choices they make in their personal lives just in case they can't or don't wish to be present when I die. That's okay for them, and that's okay for me. The next is quality of life. This is quite subjective. A friend of mine wants me and her children to make sure she has access to plenty of water because she does not like being thirsty. (laughs) You may chuckle, I kind of did when she was telling me, but to her, this is of utmost importance, and I would say it would contribute to her sense of dignity. Leaving her thirsty would not be respectful. There are so many contributors to quality of life, I can't even begin to list them here. But if you have any you would like to share, I welcome all contributions. Maybe you'll share one I hadn't thought of before, and I just may add it to my list. The next one is relationship with healthcare provider. I didn't quite understand this one until I really looked more closely. This can be an important relationship. It probably is an important relationship. It makes sense when I think about it, especially in the face of long-term illness where trust has been developed with a provider. This trusted professional can help make decisions, explore treatment options, and weigh in on the bigger decisions. Okay, (laughs) that was a lot. Um, I think we're going to wrap it up for now. And we're going to come back to this idea of the good death. But I want to just let you know that if you're finding this information helpful and the stories that I include informative, maybe even thought-provoking, then I hope you just let me know about that. I know that they've helped me learn even years after the events, but I'll take learning and growth from when and where it comes. I'm going to tuck that one away for a future conversation. In the meantime, please think about those things you want to have in your conversations with the people that you care about and your provider. Plan a date to have those conversations over coffee, over lunch, while on a walk, Whatever, but do it while you're still here. I'm thankful you listened today. Please visit my website and drop me a question or a topic for future discussion. Also, in the show notes, you'll find any reference materials such as names or book titles that I discussed in this podcast. Till then, folks, take care.